The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes Looking hard but won't realize that they will never see the pee Yes, sir. We are right back at it. It is all eyes on Cleveland. I am your host, Brad Ward, here to bring you another edition where we interview the most intriguing and interesting personalities in the Cleveland sports landscape. Lots to get into tonight. We'll take a look at the ESPN FPI rankings. What do you like? What don't you like about it? We'll talk about it. Plus some odds from Bet Online on Coach of the Year. Surprising where Kevin Stefanski lands there. Uh, and of course, our very special guest, my my boss, top man, Jeff Risden, managing editor at thebrownswire.com and the Lions. Wire.com will be here for a special interview. You start getting excited. And there it is, Mikey on the ones and twos doing his thing uh, as usual and uh, killing it as usual. So thank you there, Mikey, uh, with the intro and hope everybody is safe out there. A lot going on in this crazy world. Uh, Hopefully we can provide you with a distraction from all that for just... Uh, a little bit here as we can talk some Cleveland sports, uh, mostly Browns, uh, as Jeff Risen is going to join us. We get in some good conversation here about Jadavian Clowney. Um, and uh, a f- very interesting conversation about uh, Andrew Barry, uh, whose steps he's really following in, what model he's really following. Uh, which is the Philadelphia model, not the Sashi Brown model. Jeff will talk about that. And, of course, uh, we talk about Joe Woods as uh, we've been paying close attention here on the show to what will happen with the Browns' defense, kind of schematic look they're going to have. And uh, he had a press conference this week where he got into some of that even further so there we will talk about that with Jeff. After Jeff leaves, so we've got uh, some interesting uh, uh, ESPN FBI rankings. Let's see where the Browns end up and uh, what do you like about these rankings and what don't you like about where some teams ended up. Plus, we'll take a look at the bet 
online odds for coach of the year, and you will be shocked to see where Kevin Stefanski ends up. Greedy! Greedy? Greedy, yes, greedy. Uh, And uh, we are going to get to the interview promptly here, but I do want to tell you that you can find our podcast at iTunes, Speaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, TuneIn app, Radio.com, and Google Play will be published tomorrow morning at USA Today Sports Media Group's The Browns Wire.com. The webpage is www.alleyesoncleveland.com. Go check it out. Got all of the shows there. We've had some tremendous guests, just heavy hitter after heavy hitter, as we do, uh, always do. About this time here on All Eyes on Cleveland. I'm Brad Ward, your host. Excited to bring you another edition of the show. And to kick things off here, we're going to go straight to the interview. Uh, Jeff Risden is my boss, as I mentioned. Top man. Managing editor at thebrownswire.com and thelionswire.com. Both of USA Today Sports Media Group. Uh, he has on-air talent uh, during the football season and not during the football season on ESPN 961. He also covers the NFL and the NFL draft at Real GM. Without any further ado, let's bring him in. Let's get the interview started. We'll come back after, uh, talk about some things there, uh, get you up and out of here. And, uh, and that everybody out there just, uh, be kind to one another. Uh, pay attention to the message. Don't let the nonsense, the looting, the riots, the craziness blur the message. Stay focused on the message. Here he is, Jeff Risden, uh, for your enjoyment talking Browns football. And we welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland a uh, repeat guest, uh, a very special guest, uh, top man, my boss, Jeff Risden, managing editor for the Browse Wire and the Lions Wire. He's the on-air talent over at ESPN 961, and he covers the NFL and the NFL draft for Real GM. How are you today, Jeff? Very good. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Uh, always good to have you on. Uh, get your insight on things. It uh, always makes for a really good show and an enjoyable show. So uh, we've had a couple of uh, Zoom press conferences here, uh, Jeff. Uh, not not your usual press conference, but, uh, you know, the virtual press conference. And we, we finally heard from Baker Mayfield. Uh, he's got a, a new slogan here, moving in silence, right? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, can we take away any signs of maturity from his words in this press conference, in your opinion? I mean, it, it's nice to be saying it, but we do need to see it with Baker. I, I think, and, and to be honest with you, I'm a little worried that he would go too far in the other direction because part of what makes Baker special is that he, he is the guy who planted the flag at the horseshoe. He is the guy who, you know, did the lewd gesture to, to show off against Hugh Jackman. I kind of like that guy. That that guy was fun. That guy was a really good quarterback. And 
I, I don't want him to lose that edge. Now, if it means that he's going to take the offseason a little bit more seriously, dedicate himself a little bit more to football and less to making those awesome progressive ads, then I'm all for it. And and I think I, I get a feeling that that's what he's talking about is that this is a football summer for him. He's not going to be out there, you know, getting married, um, you know, making public appearances, you know, being being the celebrity. It seems like he wants to be the quarterback again, and that that can only mean good things. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and you're 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 absolutely right. I didn't even think about it that way, but you, you don't want him to change, right? You want him to be the same guy. It's that fire as part of everything that's part of him, and then you know, uh, at the same time, you want him to mature at the same time and use it and and I guess harness it in the right ways you know what I mean uh so we'll we'll see uh how that all shakes out now you know part of this too is the the atmosphere has lent itself to moving in silence right he hasn't had to get up in front of the press every day like he will um for me, kind of the maturity when I when I see the signs of maturity, I guess Jeff will be when he gets up there in front of uh, every day. Maybe let's say training camp, right? Let's say like goes off without a hitch, and he gets up there every day for his press availability or whatever, and he's able to answer questions without uh, raising uh, eyebrows and kind of say answer the questions authentically without saying a whole lot. Uh, I guess that's kind of yeah. the maturity for me of handling the press. Yeah, you know, the the art of saying a lot but saying nothing at the same time is something that he hasn't figured out yet. Uh, it's not something that either of the head coaches that he's had have figured out yet either. Yeah, uh, ho- hopefully, Stefanski is a very different character, and I think that that, that is going to rub off on him uh, and, and make Baker – a, a more mature person. Uh, and, you know, he is getting older. He is married now. He is settling in. Uh, I think he's had some time to reflect upon, you know, the wars with Tony Grozzi and, and all that crap. Uh, and, and I hope that the Browns do somewhat preemptive protection against him. So if if there is a clown in the, in the media room, that they weed it out quickly because uh, that's not helping anybody. And I, I hope they realize that. I think they do. Uh, but, but Baker has lent himself to, to fighting back at that in the past, and that's not what you want him to do. And I hope that there's a little bit of a turn in the cheek if, if, if that moment does come up again. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Uh, well said. So, well, that, that, that we'll kind of put a to be continued there, huh, for that one. i got to see it before we believe it. Um the Browns uh, phase one started yesterday. Really, nothing there that's gigantic. You know, uh, no coaches, no players, small group of employees. I, they're working with university hospitals. I think that's pretty cool. Just uh, kind of make sure that everything's cool there. Now, you know, uh, J.C. Treader has been. You know, it's interesting with him as the president here. Uh, but uh, him, uh, you know, putting out and kind of, you know, squashing some of the ideas or, or raining down on the idea of a mini camp here at the end of uh, June. Uh, your thoughts on that? Do you think that's even realistic? Or should we, you know, as football fans just be like, just just focus on coming back 
for training camp. Let's just get that right. Or, or are they trying to yeah. do much more? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with that. I, I want a full, as close to normal of a training camp as we can get in starting in late July. Uh, going to Korea, um, there's a lot of space out there for people to stand a distance, to, to sit, you know, six feet apart or whatever you need to do, social distance and with the, the practice fields there. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily rush to get back on the field. Uh, it is still, there's still so much we don't know about the whole pandemic and how it's going to react. Um, you know, these guys still haven't gotten tested, a lot of them. Uh, that, that's something that has to be paramount before you get together and work out in these groups is you do have to, to find out who, you know, who has, has done the antibody testing. That's something that I know Treader has pushed for with the players' union, um, that they, they, want to, they want to know who's, who's had it um, so they don't necessarily have to worry as much about, you know, the precautions with those guys. It's, there's so much going on. I would prefer that they do just wait. They're doing the virtual off-season, you know, where they're doing Zooms and doing, you know, you know, private conferences and stuff like that from remote locations. That that goes through, I think, June 12th, I believe, is the date that that ends. Give the guys a couple of weeks off then, um, you know, have them still be in contact. But to get on the field, there shouldn't be a rush to get on the field. Training camp is plenty fine. Yes, it's a big disadvantage for a team like the Browns that it has a whole new regime in front of it. That sucks, but that 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 that's where they're at. I, I would I would prefer them you just you know take it a little bit easy. Don't rush it. Don't get anybody you know. Don't take any risks that don't need to be taken. Uh, and, and focus on the fall. And hopefully we can have have a full training camp, at least a couple of preseason games, and then get out there and hopefully have some fans in the stands at first energy in September. Yeah, that's my hope, too. You know, I mean, if you get some people in the lower bowl, get some sign of normalcy, I think that would be a huge win, in my opinion. So um, let's talk about a uh, – you're listening, first of all, to All Eyes on Cleveland, the podcast. is special guest, Jeff Risden, managing editor at the Browns Wire and the Lions Wire. He also writes for – uh, Real GM about uh, the NFL and the NFL draft, and he is an on-air talent at ESPN 961. He's a busy man. Uh, let's talk about one of your articles that piqued my interest uh, this week, uh, Jeff, uh, as we talked last time about your uh, frequency of writing. It's incredible, but uh, we'll talk about that uh, Andrew Barry, uh, following the Philadelphia model, not Sashi Brown's model, and this was kind of uh, via uh, a uh, a quote from Albert Breer, right? Was kind of talking right. about this. Um, can you talk? Explain that a little bit. I mean, fans have a, a weird perception uh, of Barry a little bit, I think, at times, and it's a misperception by a lot of fans sometimes. Can you talk a little bit about this? Yeah, and and that, that that was the point that I think Drew was trying to make, and it was sort of the one that I was trying to make is that Barry, Andrew Barry, he's not Sashi Brown 2.0, and I think you have to look at his year in Philadelphia and what he learned there um, from from that regi- from that regime. It's a very successful team, uh, just cleaning out the, the doors, basically getting rid of Elliot Wolf, getting rid of Alonzo Highsmith. Uh, making some changes, bringing in more analytical people who are more of his mindset with some football experience behind them. Uh, the guy that he brought in from uh, from San Francisco, his name is me now, but 
bringing those guys in. I'm promoting Glenn Cook, a guy who who has been around with Sashi, or with Sashi and with Barry, and understands the difference between the two guys. Uh, elevating him up in the scouting department. One of the things that that Breer brought up was the concept of, of having silos between your your pro scouting, your college scouting, uh, and your personnel, your pro personnel people. That's something that was there in theory under Sashi, but they never practiced it. And that was one of the big things was that there was so many people in every meeting and every decision process. There wasn't one specific guy making the call on anything. And sometimes the consensus is really good, but, but in, in that situation, it did not work. And I think one of the things that Barry saw in Philadelphia was, okay, but the pro personnel guy is going to make the final say on this. It doesn't matter what the other guys say. It's his choice. We've hired him because we trust him to make that decision. Uh, one of the things that I think Sashi did with, with his sort of consensus building was that it fostered like, does he really trust his own thoughts here? You know, the guy who's in charge doesn't necessarily make the final call. That, that, that doesn't work. And we saw that it didn't work. And I think Barry has learned from that. He's a bright dude, went to Harvard, um, played football. <laughs> He's a bright guy. Uh, I, I think he picked up on, on the things in Philadelphia. I mean, he saw the differences between how a poorly run organization is, which is what he was with, with the Browns, and, and what a, a successful team was. I mean, they did win the Super Bowl in 2017. The Eagles, they do things differently. And I think he's going to take away from that. I think Breer hinted at that, and I tried to take it a little bit further than that. Uh, and I hope that, that that people, like you said, there's this great misperception about Andrew Barry, is that he's he's the Sashi Ryu, and that that's not what he is. Uh, let's let's at least give him a chance to prove that he's not. I'll say this: just based on the, the free agent decisions that they did, and the way that he handled himself in Indianapolis, the scouting combine, um, and, and you know, in some press conferences and everything. He's a very different dude. Uh, this this is a much more authoritative, much more um, personally confident and outwardly outwardly presenting uh, what vision is than what Sashi is. And I, I think that should go over well with the fans. And I, I hope that uh, that enough of them give him the benefit of the doubt on that because uh, he deserves it. Yeah, no doubt you can you can see the difference in him and Stefanski. I mean. Truly, uh, a totally different vibe from from Hugh, from Freddie. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they are intelligent. Uh, you know, they're they're well spoken and they're they're adults. Like you know, they're we always talk about where's the who is the adult in the room. They're both very very professional at all times. So my first impressions have been very very good. Now you know, I I was critical. Uh, of the Stefanski hire initially, but he has been nothing but impressive so far. Yeah, it's, it's hard to find fault there. I mean, he hasn't coached any games yet. He hasn't been in front of the players yet. Sure. So it's, it's really early to know, but he hasn't done anything stupid yet, and that's that's already a, a lift up over the media predecessor at this yeah, point. I, I hate to say that because uh, I, I, I was okay with, with hiring Freddie. I got it. I thought it, I thought it was a good idea. I, I thought it was a defendable idea, anyways. Um, and I tried to make it support and tried to make it work. But man, it was it was pretty obvious from uh, I went down to the mini camp, which I think was going on exactly a year ago at, at this time. Uh, and even at that point, I, I looked to a couple of the other guys who who cut the team when they're there every day, and I'm like, 
uh-oh, and they're like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh-huh. People knew that early. Uh, that was uh, that was that was eye opening, quite honestly. <laughs> so I want to go back to this article for one thing here, okay? Because uh, uh, this this uh, line that you wrote in this article is absolutely tremendous. I had to write it down, and I <laughs> to give it back to you. Uh-oh. Okay, so here here is uh, your your line in the article. Browns Browns have a definite bureaucratic kitchen slant to them with a lot of cooks putting their own flavors into every single dish. It produced a lot of mismanaged, foul-tasting concoctions that would have set Gordon Ramsay into a profane tizzy. <laughs> so the context man, that my daughter, uh, I have an 11-year-old daughter who has been uh, at, at home. She's made dinner like, almost every night. She watches Gordon Ramsay religiously, so I, I, I've, I've been exposed to way too much Gordon Ramsay in my life lately. <laughs> Oh uh, well, I've seen his tizzy as many a time as my wife watches that stuff too. But uh, still, uh, tremendous, tremendous writing right there. As I thought that was uh, hilarious. Uh, Thanks, man. Uh, and uh, what was that mismanaged, foul-tasting concoctions? I, I would agree. That's a good way to describe it. Um, so, with all of this going on here, uh, are, are the most uh, uh, Jeff the most I guess engaged that I've been in any of the press conferences was Joe Woods because for me I've been paying a lot of attention to this, listening to very closely to his words because we didn't really know what he was going to run. I mean, we knew he was going to run, you know, his four three under because he's ran the three four. That's what he ran in Denver. Uh, you know, he's ran the four three, and then last year they were in uh, the uh, cover three. You know, press bail, uh, pretty much 80%, 85% of the time, no matter whether it was linebackers on the field or whether it was a dime look, right? They, that's pretty much what they ran and lived and died by it, in the end died by it uh, on that last route on the 4th and 15, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, so pretty much um, that's, you know, I hear a little bit, and I may have, told you about this before, I feel a little, fear a little bit that, you know, if he implements that, you know, this Seattle cover three, um, which several teams in the league run now, those guys tend to go with it that route. They don't use it sparingly. They kind of live and die by it. Like, here we are, come get it. Um, and, and you know, you're going to have to beat this. And, and I, I feel like um, if you have a good coach like Andy Reid, it, you know, he'll attack the rules of that defense enough that it, it can be beat. Um, and uh, so I kind of – I'm hoping that Joe Woods is more of a um, morph your defense to fit your, your, uh, your, you know, competition because I feel like those guys are more successful in the NFL. The guy that, that changes the things week to week – and, and can and can give people different looks. Um, it sounds like that's kind of the way he's going. It sounds like he wants to go. He talks a lot about doing running a uh, in his press conference uh, less linebackers on the field, right? Which makes sense. Um, they, he wants to run a uh, nickel uh, package as his base look, like a four-two-five. And then maybe uh, a dime. Uh, he talks a lot about the dime. Um, set up with the, the you know the four one six 
three safeties on the field, which I guess would be Sadeo, and that brings up some other questions. Would you rather have Sadeo or a linebacker on the field? That's I don't know. Um, so <laughs> given these linebackers, I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so one of the things you know, what, what I see you're getting at is, is where, where where is this defense going? I don't know if we know yet. I don't think he knows yet. And, yeah, and that was one of the things I talked about it. But he has a lot of ideas, and because he hasn't had time to get in front of these guys and see and talk to them, like you know, be able to really look each guy in the eye and and, and you know have that that sort of interaction with them. Um, that's not that's not their fault. It's just logistically not possible right now. I think he needs to see what they can do when they're facing a live offense. And that's why training camp is going to be so important. It wouldn't surprise me if they tried a bunch of different things. Uh, and and you know, they, they do have some guys. Carl Joseph can move around a little bit. Sendejo can play that, that box safety linebacker hybrid. You know, I think there's some thoughts that can do that. Um, he did that a little bit at LSU. I absolutely would like to see him as the high safety, but uh, you know, they're, they're going to try things out. What do they have at linebacker? I, I it's a huge off-season for Taki Taki and, and Mac Wilson. Is the, yeah. You know, and, you know, I, I, I've seen enough of B.J. Goodson to know that if he's on the field, a lot of the defense isn't going to be very good. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that about Wilson, Taki Taki, or, or Phillips yet. So, you know, are they better off being in, in a base nickel um, like they were last year where they, they, they ran with three linebackers only, I think it was 11% of the total snaps. Uh, yeah. And they went seven weeks in a row doing less than 5% of snaps with that. Yeah. I, that that's what he's got to figure out. It's Because he's got so many, you, know, you talked about different defenses that he's run. He's, he's worked under Wade Phillips. He's worked under, you know, straight four, three guys. Yeah. He's, he, he's been everywhere. You know, what does he come out with? That's we're all, We all want to know. And, I, and I, what I took away from this press conference was that I don't think he really knows yet, um, yeah. which is a little bit scary, but it also shows, you know, it should be a reason to cool the Jets a little bit. On the, yes, the, the defense front, the front four is loaded, and I, I'm confident that Denzel Ward will be very good again. I'm confident that Greedy Williams will grow at the other corner. Mm-hmm. The rest of the defense scares the hell out of me. Um, it's the middle of the field defense. Where do, where do the Ravens attack? Where do the Chiefs attack? Where, where do the Steelers attack very well? They either go deep on the outside or they go across the middle. And that, that middle of the field defense, specifically against the passing game, is what's going to make or break the Browns. And that's where Joe Woods has to figure out, are we better off running with, with the linebackers here or if we have a safety in there? Will that hurt us too much against the run that we can't do with the slow down the pass? Those, those are the things that, that he has to see. That's why preseason is going to be important, why training camp is important, and why they might get off to a little start defensively uh, before they figure it out. Yeah, he made an interesting, you know, comp in, in the actual presser. He compared uh, Mac Wilson to Trey Greenlaw. Uh, what did you think about that, the, you know, guy that he worked with in San Francisco? Yeah, and, and Greenlaw wound up being really good last year. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, so I, I think they were drafted right around the same spot. Yeah. And, and Green, Greenlaw is more physical, and I think that's something that Mac Wilson – um, based on what he, he said to the press when he left this, you know, after the season, he knows he's got to get more physical. He, he knows he, 
he has the physique to do it, and he has the strength. He's got to be able to show it more, uh, and I think that that's something that the Woods has to see in person. You know, does he come back? Is he going to be a guy who's more willing to put his weight around, who's going to try to, to hit and wrap instead of just diving at feet when he's going to make a tackle in the open field? You know, Greenlaw did a great job at that. A very, very good form tackler. That's, that's never been said about Mac Wilson. That's something he's got to work on. Yeah, and, and, and he's their best linebacker, I would say, right? I mean, he, In theory, yes. He should be. He, I, I think he is. He should be, and I think he is. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I get, we haven't seen enough of Taki Taki. You know, I, I, I do like Taki Taki. He's more limited, I think, in, in the current role that he's in. He, he, to me, he's, he's the guy who fills the Christian Kirksey role. I think he can do that just fine. Okay. Uh, but finding the guy who takes over the Joe Schobert role of the, of the cover linebacker, uh, of yeah. the guy who, who you know runs out with the tight ends when they're flexed out, who can you know play, who can rush the pass tricking into Wilson is much better suited to be that guy. He's just to prove that he can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right about the middle of the field. I mean, though, I mean that's that's where they've gotten gashed, right? And you know, tight ends that always have a field day against the Browns for years now, and, and it's something that you know, looks like that they're going to have to work on or, or scheme up something here, you know, how they choose to do that. You're absolutely right, you know. As I'm looking at my notes now, and I, you know, I got four one six, four two five, three safeties, three, three DBs, you know, cover three press bail, you know, what he did in Denver, you're absolutely right. It sounds like he doesn't really know yet either, so, <laughs> you know. I'm it, it's this. hard to not have answers at this time of year, but that's, that's where we're at in this, this weird time we're living in, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that that question brings me to the next, you know, hot topic right now, and that's Jadavian Clowney, right? So let me ask you, let me ask it to you this way before we get into what Jadavian Clowney is thinking and, and what the Browns are thinking and things like that, right? If you're the Browns, and you look at your defense now. Are you a better defense with Clowney? Probably, if he's healthy, yes. right? Yes, you uh, are. And so, then you would want to make this move, right? I mean, to me, it's like, okay, they want to make the playoffs. They have a roster that should be able to make the playoffs. So you make this move. Um, now, you know, does it, that's how I look at it. Like, just straightforward. Are you in that winning window? Yes. Is your quarterback on a rookie contract? Yes. Can this guy make your defense better? Yes. So the next next question, your answer would be yes. Go get him, right? Um, especially <laughs> with the way that, uh, you know, um, the contracts work out with Olivier Vernon. I mean, that lends itself to a nice little break this year, right? Uh, if, you, if you had to do that. I mean, they're in a really nice spot to go get another piece here. Thoughts on that? Um, does make the he is a He is better overall than Olivier Vernon, but if you're looking for pass rush help, I'm riding with Vernon because he, he's a better pass rusher, better instigator um, from a stand-up edge position. 
and, and and that's the thing. I I think a lot of people forget about Adrian Claiborne coming in. Yeah. He's going to be that that he's taking over the Chad Thomas role, the guy who gets twenty to thirty snaps a game, strictly rushing the passer. That's a massive. That's a massive upgrade. Claiborne's uh, really good at that. He doesn't play the run at all, uh, and he, he tends to get sacked in bunches. <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the, there's something there. Um, so if he, now, what Clowney offers you, Clowney is like Richardson, Sheldon Richardson, that he can play inside. Um, actually, from from what I watched uh, before I took over to the line, where I was the Texans wire guy, uh, and I lived in Houston when, when he got there, uh, and saw way too much Texans football with it. Actually, they were a lot of fun to watch. So it's not, it's not a regret. Uh, he is not—he's not the guy that hit Debbie Smith when he was at South Carolina. That's—that's that's not who he is. He does not play stand up anymore. He can't do that anymore. He is a hand in the dirt. Uh, two hands in the dirt, uh, five technique, six technique, um, maybe playing the outside shoulder of, of, of the tackle, maybe he's shading a little bit, but that, that's not where he's at his best. He's hmm. he's He is a a play the run on the way to rushing the passer. There's a guy who got three sex lists here. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing with Clowney, and and this, this does go back when I covered him with the Texans, he did not like that J.J. Watt was better than him. He didn't like the Whitney Merciless got more pass rush love than he did. Well, I talked to people in Seattle last year. He bristled a little bit when they brought in Ezekiel Ansa, who, by the way, got more sacks and whole fewer snaps um, after being hurt all the time from him in Detroit. He wants to be the guy. That, that, that's something that's very important to him. He ain't going to be the guy with Miles Garrett on the team. And I think that, that right there is probably the biggest reason why he is not in Cleveland. Because what he does he, want, he wants to be, he wants to get paid like being that guy. He knows that he can't get paid being that guy if there's a guy that that, that guy's already there. Well, well, Jeff, I would argue he can't get paid that way anywhere, and he's not going to be the guy anywhere until right. he goes and, out and has a 15 sack season, which he isn't that guy. Right, and, not, but he's got to he's got to come to that realization, and he's he's at the point in his career where he's had enough injuries. He's getting older. I think he's twenty seven now. I want to say he he knows he's got to make that that payday now. He's got to do it off of a three sack season where he didn't he played the run exceptionally well. Not a yeah. good pass rusher. No. You don't you don't pay for that. That and that that's the problem, and that's why that's why he's still out there, and, and that's why he's still viable for the Browns because he he will realize that. He's, there's not a team that's going to give him Olivier Vernon money to be who he is right now. If they are, they're stupid, more power to him. That, I, I can't fathom this Browns room paying more than 10 million a year. And that, that's pushing it. Uh, and, I, and I think what he wanted is that he has to weigh, do I bet on myself for a year again, like I did last year? I played on an interest that I made, I think it was $16.75 million or something like that. Yeah. Forced, forced his trade out of Houston uh, because the Texans knew they weren't going to pay him long term because they knew um, from coaching him for five years that he wasn't going to be worth it. Uh, that that says a lot to me about uh, how he should be valued. Uh, so uh, if he comes with the price right, if he gets down and we're you know he signs for three years, twenty five million dollars, I'm okay with that. But I, I don't want him to be a guy that that is the reason why other guys aren't in Cleveland. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I just don't. He's not going to take that. I don't ever see him taking that deal. 
I can't either. Yeah. <laughs> here's the interesting thing, right? So I watched Charles Robinson go on TV and talk about this, and he says, you know, he's close to the situation. They're asking him questions. He says he doesn't want another prove-it deal, right? He right. will go somewhere where he wants a longer deal, hopefully over, like, 15 a year, right? You know, he originally wanted 20, uh, which which is a bit of a pipe dream, in my opinion. But, and then Sims, Sims and Florio are talking about it, and they're like, well... I think he would rather just do another one-year deal. So, <laughs> and, and again, this, this is another case where Genevian doesn't talk. He, he he just he just doesn't do the media. That's that's not what yeah. he does. He's got an agent that handles all that. He's changed agents. Um, he did that before he got franchise tagged in Houston. Yeah, there's just a lot that's going on there that he has to come to the realization that that he's the guy who got three sacks last year. Uh, who, who got nine sacks the year before, 9.5 the year before that, which was his best year. Um, and by the way, he played that year. That was the year that J.J. Watt was hurt and out. Yeah. Uh, and, and he played great that year. And he's got to harken back to being that guy. Uh, and, and if he's healthy, he, he could absolutely play across from Miles Garrett, play next to Sheldon Richardson. He could get nine sacks in Cleveland being that. Um, is that worth $15 million a year for the break? Probably not, because I think Olivia yeah. Vernon could get you seven and a half, where he gets you the nine. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, you're not upgrading that much. Uh, and, and, and then there's you know there's Vernon. People like Vernon. He's a leader. He's got some playoff experience. Uh, he's well liked in that locker room. I think that the veteran presence that he provides, you can't really quantify that, but you have to a little bit. And I, I'd hate for them to lose that when they have. And we're talking BJ. This is the, the veteran. <laughs> linebacking court. Right. Uh, they got you know, Kevin Johnson, who was god awful in Houston when I watched him down there. Um, you know, the, the, Terrence Mitchell, who, who may or may not make the team. That's your that's your leadership on defense. You know, in the back seven. Uh, it'd be nice to have some some solid bedrock guys up front. Um, again, I don't know how to quantify that, Vernon. I don't know how much it quantifies more than Clowney, uh, if it does at all. But that's. Uh, it, I, I would hate for them to make this move um, and, and cut Vernon away, and then it doesn't work, and then Vernon winds up being healthy, going to I don't know um, the Houston. They have you know six and a half sacks um, for making half the money that, that Clowney is. I I can see that happening, and that worries me. Uh, and and that, that's not necessarily anything against Jadavian. It's just. It, it's hard for me to justify making a move strictly to make the move if if you don't know that it's going to help you. Yeah. Enough yeah. that enough that it offsets the the contractual value. Yeah. If that I, makes I sense. think I think you know it totally makes sense. I I think that Clowney, I think he's disruptive, like you said, and he plays the run well. But you don't pay guys for that, right? Right. Like, like you said, that that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll go to I'll go to the Lions for a second. The Lions signed Trey Flowers. Trey Flowers is absolutely that guy. He was really really good last year, but he's making eighteen million dollars a year, and there ain't no way in hell he's worth that much. He was the best player on the Lions defense. He they'd be completely lost without him. But he got I think he got six and a half sacks. Um, he did draw eight penalties. Um, had five of his own, two of which were complete BS. But uh, you know he he's not a guy who he's not a guy who threatens the offense all that much. And and that that's kind of the way that Clowney is. And you, you can't o- 
overpay for that guy. Uh, from a Lions point of view, yes, Trey Flowers is is really really good, and they, he's a he's a worthwhile building block. But for what they're paying him, you got to get more bang for your buck, man. And and I hate to say that, but he's a good dude, he's a good player. But he's not he's not that he's not eighteen million dollar a year player. <laughs> no. I mean, what if, what if the you know Clowney seems like he's holding steady. He wants something over 15, maybe a couple of years, right? That's what I would guess, uh, that he would probably bite on something like that. I, I don't – what about Ngakwe? I mean, if you're yeah. going to pay that much money. There, there's a younger, better end-up pass rusher. That's the rule that you want to side from. Miles, Miles is at his when he's you know lined up a little bit tighter. Oh, he's yeah. not a wide nine guy. And Gosway can be that wide nine guy. He can stand up. Um, he's not particularly good at moving backwards either. But he, he's a guy that's a little bit more mobile. He, he He's played the jack role in Jacksonville, uh, that, that sort of you know hybrid outside linebacker, you know, defensive end um, that generally lines up on the side of the tight end um, and, and rushes. He's good at rushing the passer. He finishes. He he has burst to the quarterback. My goodness. Yeah. Um, that's. I, I would much rather get a guy like that. Uh, now, now he's got some. He's not the easiest guy, from what I understand, and I I don't know him at all. So I'm just relaying yeah. this. He's not the easiest guy to coach or to get along with, from what I gather. Uh, you know, and that might be unfair to him, but that's that's one of the reasons why I've heard why he is still the name is still out there more than than he's attached with anybody now. So. Uh, yeah. and, and all the guys that are out there now, there's a lot of free agents that are out there that could help the Browns, but there's always a, yeah, but with all those guys. And, and right. you know, I would like, I would honestly, I would like to see the Browns hold with what they've got until they get everybody in the Berea, get them all out there on the field, look at them for a week or two and think, hmm, okay, this ain't going to work. We got to fix this. And I would, I would rather they do it that way than bring somebody in now. That's that's just my take. That makes a lot of sense, and and, and honestly, uh, I don't think the market isn't there for clowning. So he's going to be there if they want to go get him. I would uh, think so. Yes, definitely and, agree on that. Yeah, and, and then Gakwe, you know, has a um a franchise tag that's unsigned, right? And, and they've come to an impasse on a long term deal, so. You know, nobody wants to be in Jacksonville long term. No, no, no. <laughs> That's a deal killer right there. Yeah, and uh, I think the, uh, I think the, I want to say that the uh, franchise tag is like sixteen five or something like that. Yeah, um, that, it, it's around that, anyways. Yeah, that that's close enough. Yeah. So, I mean, having that, you know, Vern in there at fifteen million really does keep your options open. I agree. Yeah, because it doesn't cost yeah. it doesn't cost anything to get rid of him if you need to. Exactly. And, if and he knows that. A straight upgrade for upgrade, you know. Yeah. Then, That's the other thing. The, the, the other thing with that is that Vernon is playing for his next contract. It's going to be his last contract in all likelihood. There, there's something to be said for a guy singing for a supper one last time. Oh, uh, for sure. And and I, I think that gets overlooked a lot. This is a guy who's going to be motivated to prove that last year was a fluke, prove that the year before that, you know, he's had injuries, but they're they're weird injuries. They're not 
They're not the soft tissue. This is this is not Tua, you know, with the soft tissue injuries. These are these yeah. are different. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would hate to give up on that guy for that. Um, there's, there's something to be said too, Jeff. I think for a guy that went through last year and is a part of this year, I, I think you know. Yeah. More guys like that in the locker room helps. Right, I mean, when adversity is going to hit this year, you know. Right, yeah, yeah. So. There's there's growth from that. You know, the guys that have been there, guys like Batonio, Garrett, guys who go back to the the beginning of of the Hugh Jackson era and, and even before that. There's there's not many of them around uh, anymore, no. <laughs> but those guys, there's some. Excuse me, there's something between those guys. That, you know, I, I like in the back to. You're probably not supposed to remember when the Cleveland Indians got really good in the early '90s. Um, of course, but, <laughs> but but you know they, they had the the the, uh, the what was the, the the boat accident down in in, in Lakeland. Uh, yeah. Um, and and the guys who who were still on the team three and four years later who went through that, there was something different. It was tangible. Watch that. Yeah, I had season tickets back then. I was in Cleveland at the time. Um, they, I went to a lot of games, and you could tell there was there was a bond between those guys from their shared collective experience that helped that team get elite. They never won, but they were they should have. <laughs> they were they were very very good for a long time. Right. I, that I would like to see something like that too. I, I think having some continuity of the guys who have who have overcome things together. Uh, I, I I do think that matters. I do think that there's some value in that. I do too. I do too. Um, this kind of—I I wrote that article about that. This stretch is the hardest stretch of the season. You know, there that three games. I just think that you know, you're staring the way the season starts. You know, you're staring a potential like two and four in the in the face there. If you yeah. lose a couple tough games there at the beginning, you know, you come out of, out of that three and three. I think you're looking really good, but. You know, if you're if you come out two and four, how easy is it for guys to go? Here we go again. Right? Yeah. Uh, yep. Exactly. Uh, oh boy, another again. Browns year. Another start. Uh, you know, not living. You know, but I think the more guys that you know were there for what started to turn around last year, and then you know ended with you know Garrett swinging the helmet and all that. You know, I think was kind of the I think that was the point where everybody realized it's time to jump off this cliff. <laughs> yeah, it was like they were they had won that game, and it was like, okay, big win, they're coming. We knew this back end of the schedule was cupcakes, and and it just kind of that sent them back the other way, right? You know. Yeah, all the air went out of the balloon. Yes, so it's like people that were a part of that. I think there's a lot of value in that. You know, because if you do face a two and four or a three and three, and you have to play these big games, I think the more guys that are in that locker room and were here for last year, I think the better off you are. Um, just like you said, it, there's there is something to that. I think you know, being a part of change, just it brings about a a, a pride, I guess. Uh, yeah, that definitely. That isn't there for like one year guys and stuff, you know. That yeah, that's how, that's how you build a culture. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Uh, listening to Jeff Risen, outstanding stuff today, Jeff. I won't keep you any much longer here. Two last two questions. Uh, All right. So there was two big, uh, you know, 
uh, rule changes on the table, right? Uh, Sky Judge or whatever the hell the NFL wants to call it, right? Which yes, the eye in the sky. Right, which they ended up screwing up, right? Am I understanding this right? So they they screwed it up because they changed it so that it could only be initiated by a field official, right? Yes. Which is which is. It completely took away from the spirit of why it was there. Point of it. What the exactly. Hell? The point was was so that if the guys on the field missed something that was obvious, it would get called. Right. And Drop now they they okay. don't know that they missed it because they didn't see it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't get that one at all, man. I really don't. I don't understand the the way that they protect the officials, uh, and, and specifically. Uh, Al Riveron, the director of officiating, it's 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 very strange to me how much rope they give that guy. Because um, so so his predecessor is Dean Blandino. I know Dean. Dean Dean's a friend. I can text him right now if I need to. He's been very very forthright on a lot of things, um, and he's he does he doesn't say anything about Al, but he just talks about the process. And one of the big things that he has said repeatedly is that you cannot have the guys who are making the calls on the field also responsible for reviewing their own calls. And no. that's something that Riveron doesn't get. He doesn't understand that concept that a guy, when you got to huddle with these guys, when you got to ref three more quarters with them, you're going to be a lot less likely to say, hey, bud, you screwed up. You need, you need that oversight from up above. And Riveron won't do it, and the NFL won't make him do it. And that's, that's, we're, we're, we're not getting as good a football as we could as a, as a product because of that. Um, I mean, the the sky judge the way it was initially presented. Oh, it was a good idea. It was a very good idea. Great idea. You know, no no going over to the video. Drop the flag. You missed it. Boom. Mark it at the one. You know, whatever. Pass interference. You know, wh- whatever you need to do. Right. Uh, I don't know the total ins and outs, but the the basic premise of it is great, and I think it would have helped the game a lot. Right. Um, but we'll see this preseason, and, and I don't know how. How is the field official going to initiate? <laughs> Just ask backwards. Anyway. The only thing I can think of is, is that maybe you've got like your field judges over there, and and all of a sudden there's a call that the guys that you know the coaches on the sidelines see, and Stefanski runs up and gets in his ears like, "Hey man, you guys missed you know defensive yeah. holding back here." Yeah. That, that's that's the only way that's going to happen, and that's I don't know that's. I'd I, I I prefer for the head coach to not be worrying about that. I'd rather have the coach coaching the players rather than working the officials. That's yeah. just me. Yeah. I don't think they'll ever call holding after a play that was <laughs> not called. Well, and that's, that's why the defensive pass interference went away, because they didn't change any of them. Right. <laughs> and, right. And, and, again, that goes back to you're asking the guys who missed the call on the field to change their own call. They ain't going to do that. Right. <laughs> and it's a call that for so long it is a judgment call, right? So, right. I don't know. There's just a lot of nuance there. and uh, But it seemed to be heading the right way, and then they screwed it up kind of in a way that I, I didn't think that they were going to. And then the onside kick, uh, Jeff, uh, to fourth and 15, which I, you know, we've already talked about this on the show when they first came out the idea. It's just to me, the, this just seems like, I, I don't know, this seems like almost like too carnival-y to me. Like, <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, I go the other direction here. I like it. 
it, it, and, uh, and they needed to iron a couple things out. It shouldn't be untimed. I agree with that, that it should be timed. I okay. think you're giving too much of an, of an advantage to the, the team. Onside kicks are between 6 and 8% success. Uh, back back in the in the 1990s and 80s, they were at about 22 percent. Uh, right. the, the safety rules, the way that they've changed, the 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 way that the guys align and what you can do and can't do, it has made it so it's a very ineffective play. So it's almost not worth trying to do. Better off, you know, hopefully, you know, doing like a sky ball or a squib kick or something like that. And I I like the idea, but but um, one of the things that Peter King brought this up in his uh, MMQB this week. And it was something that I hadn't thought of, but uh, and and I should think of this because I, I, I covered a team in the Lions and blew a bunch of leagues last year. Um, the team that's ahead, why are you punishing them for being the better team for most of the game? Right. And and I hadn't thought of that, and that 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 sort of you know like oh that's a really good point. So I I don't know where I'm at. I'm processing that just yet and how I weigh it out. I would like it for there a way to be a team to come back easier and not have to be so reliant on on a play that's going to fail 95 times out of 100. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, God, that team. If you're if you're up by nine points with two minutes to go, you deserve to win the football game, right? Well, You've been the better team for the entire day, and I, I I honestly don't know where I'm at with that. So I I haven't reconciled that yet, so I can't give a really good answer on it. I'll be honest there. Honestly, that's where I – that was the example I used. I was like, okay, Browns play whoever, defensive battle, they dominate all day, right? Uh, right. You know, they never even get close to scoring. They're up 13 nothing. Well, they can do it twice. Only the losing team can do it, right? Right. So, And then they score with 45 seconds left. I mean, you can lose – you could lose – a lot of teams could lose games that they just absolutely dominate the entire game. Um, yeah. And because of the – And that would, that, would be, that would be really tough. Um, yeah. You know, looking, looking at it from a, a, a Cleveland and, and Detroit point of view, we don't win much. So, you know, getting those well, wins is like, yeah. yeah, this yeah this is great. But what if you're, what if you're Baltimore? Um, to use them as, as an example of a consistently good football team, they will probably be negatively impacted by it. That's not fair to them. No, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Since I'd like to jam it up their butt for a little while, it's yeah, not there. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> right, right. So, so then, what if you, you know, then if you make it available to like the offensive team too, and then you're going to have like the the um, uh, the Chiefs are going to be up twenty-one nothing before anybody jumps on the field. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. So we're going to see that preseason too. I, I think maybe like fourth and twenty-five, maybe I could accept a little bit more. Fourth and fifteen just seems—I don't know—it seems too. Yeah, good. I don't know. Maybe, maybe maybe you make it start back a little bit closer to the goal. I think it was the twenty-five, right? Was where they were going to start your own twenty-five. Yep. So maybe, then maybe what, push it back to the the the, I don't know, the eighteen or something like that, or the twenty. Yeah. Even. I I do think that makes a little bit of a difference too. Yeah, because they just continue the drive then, right? Right. It was it, so you were saying the whole possession was going to be untimed? No, just the first, just the fourth down play. Then after that, they would go to the normal uh, clock situation at the end of the game. Okay, well that's that's better than you think about that, right? Because yeah. eventually going to run out of timeouts and somebody's going to get tackled in bounds, and you know your if your defense is good enough, you can get out of there with a win. So I suppose that's better. I was just kind of thinking of like you know just teams just. 
infinite chances here. We're going to get some score. Well, we got in the end zone, you know, or yeah. whatever. So we kicked a field goal, and now we're going for it again. And so uh, any final thoughts for us, Jeff? Great job today. Uh, you know, uh, I'm glad that we could uh, talk. I had a great time uh, talking about Joe Woods and Clowney and, uh, yeah. I'm glad you could hash some of that stuff out for us here. Um, I, I appreciate you inviting me back on. It's It's, it's been, been good talking to you. I, you know, I, I just want to say to everybody, you know, it, it's a very weird time in our country with everything that's going on. Just just be nice to each other. Try to, try to, try to stay in a mindset where we're trying to work together instead of working apart. It's going to be better in the long run in every front if we do it that way. Agreed. And, and uh, I agree. And uh, don't let the message be lost here by the, the few idiots that, you know, took it to a different, another level, I guess. Is, <laughs> There's a lot of that going on in right. a lot of different realms of our world right now. <laughs> right. So, um, Jeff, great job as always. You, you are, uh, you're the best man and, uh, keep it up and, uh, uh, I'll get on that, uh, I'll get on that writing, uh, writing <laughs> horse here and Sweet. get you some content, okay, sir? Cool. Thanks, buddy. All right. Jeff Risden, managing editor for the Lions Wire, the Brownswire.com, on-air talent at ESPN 961. When do your shows on? Uh, I am on 3 to 6, um, Monday through, well, during football season, Mondays and Fridays, uh, and then I host a show every Sunday during football season from 10 to noon. Beautiful. There you have it. I w- I'll remember next time. I won't. That's twice I asked you. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, it's not football season now. This is my yeah. off time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, covers the uh, NFL and NFL draft for Real GM. Always putting out tremendous content, like 10 articles a day. It's absolutely remarkable. Uh, so, uh, great job, uh, Jeff, and uh, I always uh, enjoy talking to you because uh, you, you're so knowledgeable. So thank you so much for coming on All Eyes on Cleveland, and uh, and thank you for in publishing us every every uh, week here. So uh, we appreciate that as well. Sure thing. Thanks, man. All right, Jeff. Have a good one, okay? Stay safe. All right. Jeff Risden, our special guest today, knocking it out of the park like usual. Great stuff from him. Love the breakdown on Clowney, Ngakwe, uh, got into the Joe Woods stuff. Really uh, appreciate him breaking down the Barry uh, following the Philly model versus Sashi Brown. Interesting, interesting stuff, uh, and he always brings it. 
for sure. And uh, always a good guest. And we'll continue to have him back here on All Eyes on Cleveland. You can catch All Eyes on Cleveland iTunes, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, oh, pardon me, said iTunes already, TuneIn app, and Radio.com, as well as all uh, other popular podcasts are found. Uh, We'll be published tomorrow at USA Today Sports Media Group's TheBrownsWire.com. Go to the webpage, www.AllEyesOnCleveland.com. Com. All the shows are there. You can grab some Browns apparel there. Uh, it's all it's all good uh, over on the website. Mikey, you can kill that. Mikey on the ones and twos doing his thing as usual behind the glass. We appreciate him as well. Um, Got a couple things to hit here before we get out of here on All Eyes on Cleveland. Appreciate you listening. Uh, Make sure you hit the subscribe button uh, at whatever um, platform you're listening. And uh, feel free to leave uh, a review, you know. what you don't like, what you like, it's all good. You know, I just want some honesty and what you like about the show, uh, and uh, what you don't like about the show, it's all, it's all love. So there, there, and uh, so feel free to do that, um, and for sure hit the subscribe button though, so that you can get all of our shows because we got nothing but heavy hitters, awesome guests coming up. Excited for L.A. Broadus. Uh, last time he was on, we did had an absolute blast uh, with him coming on the show, and he'll be on on Thursday this week. Uh, so that's that's fantastic. Um, I don't talk about politics on this show. It's a sports show. It's a Brown show. It's um. It's a show about Cleveland sports, and and it's to highlight, you know, talented and um, in, intelligent, intriguing personalities like Jeff, who was just on, and uh, get information from them, just like he provided, gave us a closer look on Clowney and what what he thought about linebacker and what he thought about what Joe Woods where he was at he you know he has a better look at that than a lot of people and what's going on with this team than a lot of people and we get him on here and that's that's what the goal is right i i don't i don't do the politics thing um but i think people are missing something and I, and i'm just going to take a minute and hit this, and then and then we'll get to what I told you we'd hit the ESPN, FBI, and the uh, uh, odds on the coach of the year before we get you out of here. But the peaceful protesting, the death of uh, of George Floyd, and all of this took a different shape than it has before. People that in the past have been 
uh, naysayers or skeptics about the political injustice that's really happening in this country seem to see this one more clearly. You got an eight-minute video uh, of this man dying, being killed. I felt like everybody was on the same side. Everybody felt the same about this. You felt the pain, the injustice, and something had to be done, has to be done. Now, people say that a lot, but what actually can be done, and I'm going to get to that in a minute, but the message, though, however, that message was lost because of the idiocy of of others that just took advantage of a situation half the time in those in the photographs it was white white guys with skateboards knocking out the windows and causing the riots that we saw and it's uh it's a shame because it all it does is blur the message you gotta stay true to what the actual message is and what started all this. Um, that's what's important. I think that as far as what you can do in this country is limited by the blue wall, they call it, right? The police. Um, all back each other and it's a hindrance in being able to police the police so what do you do right you put your most intelligent law enforcement leaders authoritative personnel on strategy together to form some sort of an IA task force in big cities across the country. You pass a bill that funds these investigations and start to weed out the dirty and racist police in this country. Those people that spent time around um, Derek Chauvin the police officer that killed George Floyd, knew he was a piece of shit. They knew he was a piece of shit, and they knew he was capable of something like this. They knew he was a racist, but nothing is done. Police that recognize this have to feel safe that they can come forward and tell people that the wrong people are on the job. That something bad could happen like this because this guy is a piece of shit. He's dirty. He's a racist. He can't be policing our streets in America. But they don't feel safe coming forward to report on their colleagues because of the blue wall, right? 
It's an absolute hindrance in being able to do this. It makes it nearly impossible for these people to come forward and continue to work in that force. Because all police back all police regardless. And that can't be... That's a too broad of a statement. Too many times this blue wall makes it impossible for people to come forward and report on people like Derek, Chauvin, Chauvin. Because the people around him knew that he was a piece of shit. And they should have came forward. But it's nearly impossible when your colleagues are always going to come to your defense. And so many times, this is what this blue wall does. It doesn't allow for a safe place to report on racist and dirty police. For the good guys that are out there that do see it, it's hard to come forward. So put, let's put some money in these cities. Let's fund some task force, undercover strate- strategies, strategery, <laughs> undercover strategies. Uh, let's make it clear what it should be to be a police officer in the United States because 99% of these guys get it. The other 1% are ruining it for the rest of them. Let's make it safe for them to come forward and report on a colleague because he's a racist. And maybe some of this can change. Just some of my thoughts on the situation. So we've got the ESPN FPI. The FPI, it stands for Football uh, It's Football something, what is it? Football Power Index. It's the Football Power Index from ESPN. Chiefs, Ravens, Niners. Standard, right? One, two, three. New Orleans at four. First buzzer goes off in my head at 5, where the Dallas Cowboys sit on the uh, ESPN-FBI 2020 season rankings, preseason rankings at this point. Cowboys at 5. I would have to say that that... uh, I, I can't get behind. I can't get behind the Cowboys at five. That is way too high. I also think that the Eagles at six is a little high. Um, so I'm going to say wrong there as well. Uh, I, I I don't know how good that division actually is. They've got the Seahawks at seven. Here's a weird one. Tampa Bay eight, followed by the New England Patriots at nine. Do you have a problem with that? The Patriots at nine? I don't. But I got to see it first, right? That's where I'm at with that. I got to see it first. Stidham. 
I think is pretty good quarterback. How ready will he be? How good will they look? That's all up in the air to me. So I having them at nine is I'm I'm fine with. Uh, Buffalo Bills at ten. Okay, I can live with it. Los Angeles Rams at eleven. It's got them down for eight point three wins and a forty five percent playoff chance. Rams for me are should not be uh, at eleven. Steelers at twelve, okay. Vikings at thirteen, okay. Uh, Indianapolis Colts at fourteen. I would take the Colts, and I'd pull an old swap there with the Rams at eleven. Maybe even get the Colts up there higher. Like, maybe push Seattle up to 6 or 5 and put the Colts in there at 7 or 8 just behind Tampa Bay. I like the Colts. I think the Colts are good. They got them at 8.6 wins, 58% chance of making the playoffs. That's pretty good at 14. Green Bay at 15. Tennessee Titans at 16. Broncos 17. Falcons 18. Browns, 19. That's no good. Uh, you know, I don't mind flying under the radar. They got the Browns, uh, 88.2 wins. 46% chance of making the playoffs. I think in this scenario, they do make the playoffs as the seventh team. But... Um, Falcons, Broncos, Packers, uh, Packers, I, I get the Packers, Titans, I get the Titans, but I, I don't know, I'm not sold that the Titans can repeat what, what they were able to bottle up at the end of last year. And certainly Denver and Atlanta ahead of the Browns, I think, is nonsense. But I will live with it because I want to fly under the radar. Oh, man. That's yeah, just the way I feel. Sorry, Mike. Uh, Chargers at 20. Bears, 21. Cardinals, 22. Las Vegas Raiders, 23. And this one is out there. The Houston Texans at 24. Uh, what is that? I, I, I'm sorry. I think the Houston Texans are a lot better team than 24. Uh, Jets, 25. Giants, 26. Dolphins, 27. Lions, 28. Panthers, 29. Bengals, 30. Washington, 31. And Jacksonville, Jaguars, who are tanking for Trevor Lawrence uh, bring up the rear. So there's your ESPN FBI. Those are the main ones I have an issue with. Cowboys way overrated on this. Uh, not sure about New England. Got to see it. Eagles way overrated. I, You know, the Cowboys and the Eagles, you can put them in the top 10, but maybe at like 9 or 10. Uh, I certainly wouldn't have either of them above Tampa Bay. Or either of them above Seattle, in my opinion, which is is how they have it shaken out 
Browns at 19, it should be more around, you know, 15, I think, 16, but I'm fine with that, and I understand why they're there after last season. Uh, flying under the radar is the way. Moving in silence is the way it's got to go down this year for the Brownies. Uh, this is from a good friend over at www.betonline.ag for the AP Coach of the Year 2020 odds. Uh, so these are your odds for Coach of the Year. There are two guys tied for first, Bill Belichick and Bruce Arians. Ha! Ah, how about that? Tampa Bay, New England, one, two. Bing, bang, boom. Uh, Mike McCarthy, here they go, the Dallas Love Fest. Mike McCarthy, 14 to 1 odds at three. Frank Reich and Andy Reid come after that. Frank Reich, 16 to 1. Andy Reid is 18 to 1. There's a couple guys at 18 to 1. So here they are Andy Reid, Cliff Kingsbury, Sean McDermott, and Kevin Stefanski at 18 to 1. Odds, he's ranked fifth in Coach of the Year. Uh, odds shocking. I was shocked to see that ahead of Shanahan, ahead of Rabel, Peterson, Harbaugh, Tomlin, Zimmer, uh, Matt Rule, another first-year head coach, thirty-three to one. Guess who else is down there at thirty to one? Sean McVay, Sean Payton, both thirty to one. Joe Judge, 40 to 1. Ron Rivera, 40 to 1. And the worst odds in the league, Adam Crazy Eyes Gase, 50 to 1. Bill O'Brien, 50 to 1. And Doug Marone, 50 to 1. All uh, bringing up the rear. But how about Stefanski getting, I mean, five new head coaches. Rivera and Judge, 40 to 1. Rule, 33 to 1. Stefanski, 18 to 1. And McCarthy, uh, who's not really a first time head coach, but a new job, getting the 14 to 1 nod and the backing of uh, the, the boys, America's team there. But Stefanski, 18 to 1 with Kingsbury, McDermott, and Andy Reid. Is that a sign they think the Browns are going to be really good? I I don't really know how else to interpret that. To win coach of the year, you got to do a damn good job, right? Your team better be damn good. So that's that. This has been All Eyes on Cleveland. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, feel free to tweet at me at Ward on Sports about the uh, FPI, ESPN, FBI index, bunch of garbage, garbage, uh, in my opinion there. Um, and then you can uh, get at the show at All Eyes on Clee. Uh, our special guest tonight, Jeff Risden, was fantastic. Great Brown stuff there. Got into Clowney, Joe Woods' defense, uh, Andrew Barry, 
training camp, Baker got it all in. That's how that's how we do it here on All Eyes on Cleveland. Keep coming back. Big thanks to Jeff Risden for Mikey behind the glass. I am Brad Ward. We are out. Now I have the heart. Rappers came and went, I've been here from the start I seen them put it together, watched them take it apart Seen the rovers roll up with ribbons I seen them repoed, resold, and redriven So when I reload, he holds number one positions When you hot, I'm hot And when your feet cold, mine's a sizzling It's plain to see, niggas can't fuck with me Cause I'ma be that nigga for life This is not an image, this is God-given This is hard living, mixed with crystal sipping It's the most consistent hope, give you the most hits you can fit inside a whole dissing. Nigga, I'm home on these charts. Y'all niggas visiting. This whole tradition. Jeff go in the rap. I'm back to claim pole position. Holla at your boy. Get up, I get. Get up, I get. Get up, I get. Get up, I get. Down for my grandfather who took my mama. Made us sit in that seat where white folks ain't want us to eat. At the tender age of six, she was arrested for the sit-ins. And with that in my blood, I was born to be different. Now niggas can't make it to balance to choose leaders. But we can make it to Jacobs or to the dealership That's why I hear new music and I just don't be feeling it Racism's still alive, they just be concealing it But I know they don't want me in a damn club They even make me show ID to get inside a Sam's Club I done did dirt and went to church to get my hands scrubbed Swear I've been baptized these three or four times But in the land where niggas praise you cons and getting paid It's gonna take a lot more than coupons to get a save Like it take a lot more than do-rags to get your way Nothing sad is that damn my girl father passed away, so I promised to Mr. Rainey I'm gonna marry your daughter And you know I gotta thank you for the way that she was brought up And I know that you were smiling when you seen the car brought up And you said tears from heaven when you seen my car get balled up But I can't complain what the accident did to my left eye Cause look what an accident did to left eye First Aaliyah, now Romeo must die I know I got angels watching me from the other side Get up, I get, get up, I get, get up, I get, get up, I get, get up, I get down. We're all here for a reason on a particular path. You don't need a curriculum to know that you are part of the math. Cats think I'm delirious, but I'm so damn serious. That's why I expose my soul to the globe, the world. I'm trying to make it better for these little boys and girls. I'm not just another individual. My spirit is a part of this. That's why I get spiritual. But I get my hymns from him. So it's not me, it's he that's lyrical. I'm not a miracle. I'm a heaven-sent instrument. My rhythmic regiment navigates melodic notes for your soul or your mental. That's why I'm instrumental. Vibrations is what I'm into. Yeah, I need my luba day, but that ain't what gives me the heart of Kunta Kinte. I'm trying to give us us free like Sinke. I can't stop. That's why I'm hot. Determination, dedication, motivation. I'm talking to you and my many inspirations. When I say that I can't let you yourself down. If I were on the highest cliff, on the highest rip, and you slipped off the side and clinched onto your life in my grip, I would never, ever let you down. And when these words are found, let it be known that God's membership has been signed with a language called love. That's why my breath is felt by the deaf, and why my words are heard and confined to the ears of the blind. I too dream in color and in rhyme, so I guess I'm one of a kind in a full house. Cause whenever I open my heart, my soul, or my mouth, a touch of God reigns out. Take him to church.
Living legend, and I tell you why. Everybody wanna be hope, and hope's still alive. 